Hello everyone, my name is Nevin Barnett and welcome to Fitness Logic Radio, the show where we explore the world of fitness, wellness and self-improvements with experts and inspirational figures. I'm thrilled to have a very special guest with us today, a renowned yoga instructor, fitness expert, podcaster and author. She's been empowering individuals worldwide to transform their lives, both mentally and physically. I'm pretty sure you've already seen some of her work and if it's not the case, this will be a treat. Today, we're privileged to have Shona Virtue on the show. Shona brings a unique perspective to the world of fitness and well-being, combining yoga, strength training, and mindfulness practice to help individuals achieve their goals and find balance in their life. In this episode, we're going to delve into her journey, her expert insights, and her tips for living a healthier, happier life. I was lucky to meet Shona on the freediving course we did together, and she's truly an amazing person and very inspirational for me. So without further ado, let's dive into an enlightening conversation with the one and only Shona Virtue. Shona. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. Uh, so as we were just saying uh, before starting the recording, like, uh, could you maybe quickly present yourself, uh, explain a bit like uh, where you've come from, where you are now, and uh, we'll start from there. So. Yes, I feel, I feel like I've done this so many times, but every time... Yeah. <laughs> I, I still I still stumble. But basically, I grew up as an elite gymnast and uh, went from, you know, training 20, 24 hours a week to quitting that and choosing to engage in a, in a sort of normal, somewhat quote unquote normal life, moved into dance and was dancing pretty much full time as well. So it was not normal by any means. Um, but movement was a very important part of my life, movement and training um, to, I guess, recover from some of the injuries that I'd sustained through not so much through gymnastics, but after quitting gymnastics, I got into yoga and Pilates. Pilates was the, was recommended by the dance school that I was in and yoga was something that I just kind of came to. Over time, I started to realize that this was something that I really fell in love with. So I became a teacher. What I often forget to kind of mention in this whole process is we're probably at about maybe like 19 or 20 now. And I'm also working full-time in a corporate job because I was like, dance is not going to pay the bills. I'm going to get a, a, a regular job and just feel safe and be able to do this. But the problem was, was that I just did not suit a sort of desk job nine hours a day. And arguably, I don't know if anyone does suit that, but it such is life, right? We just have to pay the bills. So I, I took that life and it just wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for my body. Injuries kept cropping up. So I started really trying to ramp up the yoga because that was often what the narrative was, was like, well, yoga will fix you, you know, go and stretch more if you have back problems, things like that. I was lucky enough to start dating a personal trainer who was like, you need to train weights, actually. And so he taught me how to lift a little, essentially. And through that, I was like, wow, maybe I need to do more weight training. I decided to get qualified as a yoga teacher, started teaching people yoga, but realized that I wasn't helping them fully if I wasn't also qualified in weight training and understood how weight training and programming for strength would be helpful for people. So I then decided to become a personal trainer. And then I guess the rest is kind of history. I spent a long time being a personal trainer, working through strength and flexibility, recognizing that there was a bit of an issue because I could write a great program. I could really coach people through nutritional awareness. I even started doing a degree in nutrition. I could 
also get them to sort of relax through meditation practices, but there was something missing and that was the behavioral aspect. I was like, how do I get people to do this? Well, I can't get people to do this unless I have an understanding of psychology and human psychology and human behavior, hence the psychology degree. So I was like, I need to understand how to help people to understand the underlying mechanisms of their behavior to 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 essentially be able to apply some of these things so now we are here today and that process like obviously you're doing that over three minutes but in reality uh it it took a few years i think we're <laughs> yeah. about like uh the same the same age actually so we we've been through like uh our fitness journey i know when i met you and we spoke together you I felt that you kind of wanted to detach yourself a bit from the like the traditional like uh, fitness, you know, like uh, views, maybe also, you know, like in Australia, it's very um, correlated to competition, like aesthetics, like how you look and everything. And obviously, we all care to a certain extent on how we look, right? It, it's it's yeah. still important. But that is not at all like uh, your perception or what you want to do in the industry now and what i really appreciate with your content and i know it's not easy as a content creator is like you want to touch on many subjects like you want to speak about like <laughs> movement you want to speak about health you want to speak yeah. about mental health and everything so how do you juggle all that and because it, it is very hard right it is really hard because especially the way that social media is moving nowadays and the trend that we see is that you have to really be very skilled at reducing the nuance actually in what you're saying and that contradicts and maybe i'll get over it one day but that to me contradicts health in general uh because we know that it, it's not black and white it's very very gray and or i would say colorful <laughs> and therefore we can't um it's very difficult to like have integrity and at the same time provide something that engages someone enough in that quick short sound bite so that they click on it engage with it but still doesn't lose the integrity so for you know for example like everyone needs strength training that you could definitely say is like maybe a broad thing but it's like within that there are all these different Context. potential yeah exactly it's, it's all context dependent or when people say like i have a good one is like back pain for example and it's like yeah. and so people want me to say here are three stretches to fix your back pain <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like well if that was the case then we wouldn't have a back pain epidemic right yeah. but it's like actually pain can be coming from like a nociception of like that that's heightened nociception being pain perception i know you know that i'm just saying if anyone that doesn't um but essentially it's like that pain perception can be impacted by your emotional state, your hydration levels, whether you've done strength training or not, or yes, of course, whether you've stretched or what kind of stress levels you have. So there's so many things that can impact it that it comes really hard. But if I say all that on Instagram, the that, likelihood that's... of someone clicking on that is very low. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I'm just going to cut you because like um, this is a concept that you've kind of brought up which I really like and that people don't speak enough. And you, you've spoken about it on your podcast. I can't remember which episode, but I, I invite people to go and, and find your episode. Thank you. It's the biopsychosocial model, model, you know? Yes. And mm -hmm. when you're speaking about pain or back pain, it's it's also the same, right? 
it's like absolutely it, it's so important to 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 remind people that and yes like you will not have like three stretches who are going to like potentially cure your back maybe for one person you know it's going to work yeah but like you don't like the difference between someone who's completely sedentary you know like sitting on in front of a desk all day and someone who's working on the field and potentially same symptoms but like completely different causes right totally so, totally and that's what makes it hard yeah yeah exactly um so you're training currently to be a psychologist right yes like you've when did you start going back <laughs> to study and th that's something that is like interesting i feel because uh i remember when i was around 27 years old i was not content with my professional life and i was like ah should have should have been a doctor like i messed up like but i was like oh 27 like it's way too late which is which is wrong right and i i didn't go this way well i, I changed completely because i used to be an engineer but um did did you think about that like when you were like oh i want to know more about psychology to help me uh in my current like uh activity or is that yeah. something that yeah well so uh so so basically the psychology one is interesting because i had actually started the degree when i was 19 and i came to it actually around actually i'd started the degree before i started the yoga teacher training because i was like oh do i you know, I really had a fascination with human psychology, essentially, and for many reasons. One, you know, I grew up in a very tumultuous, uh, I had a tumultuous childhood, my parents divorced, but it was like very, um, <laughs> violent isn't the right word. It was just very tumultuous. It was very like fiery, very dramatic. And I witnessed, I had to go to, because of how kind of like aggressive it was between my parents, I had to go to a lot of child counseling because they were using the, as an only, I was an only child at the time, I have a half sister now, but um, they were using a lot of what was discussed in the sessions to um, basically in the family courts to try to determine who should get custody. And so I would sit down with this, counselor with this psychologist and they would observe me playing with my parents or drawing by myself and doing things and I mean I was four years old so I was very young but I remember thinking like these guys think that I don't know what's going on and they're treating me like a child now I understand that they now that they have to retrospectively I'm like well they couldn't just treat me like an adult however I was, it prompted me to think like, I want to do this job and I want to do it better. And so when I was 19, I was like, okay, yes, I've done dance and yes, I've, I've got this performing arts background, but actually I want to go to uni. I want to become a psychologist. So I went in and I am 19 years old. Like, who do I think I am? And for the record, anyone that's currently listening to this, that's 19, that's doing a psych degree, amazing. Like do your thing, get it done if you can. If you can't, don't think that life is over and that you'll never be able to do it again. Because in actual fact, I think that that degree should actually have an age cutoff. Like as in, I actually think it should have an age minimum. That being said, obviously everyone comes to life in different ways. So age is just a number. We know this. However, I really didn't have the maturity to approach the degree the way that I think I needed to have. And that's not to say that I wasn't mature enough for the concepts, but more that I didn't have enough life to apply to some of these concepts. I also 
oh, you're just filled with hormones. You're just like, I couldn't sit there and concentrate. I didn't care. I didn't care about trying to regurgitate Freud or regurgitate some, you know, BF Skinner about behavior because I didn't really under, I had no context to go on other than my own life context. But don't you think so, that's true for for every field, not just psychology? Because look at possibly, PT, you know, like possibly how you coach when you're like 19 years old or 20 years old to like <laughs> yeah. after 10 years of experience is also totally different because you you actually have the psychological and life experience that comes like an input into it. Yes. So to come back to your question, like you know, it isn't ever too late, actually. And if anything, I think it's if you are going to ask me what's more important, being young enough or being, you know, old enough, I sort of feel like don't be afraid if you have lived a whole life beforehand because the, the, the reality is, is you'll be able to apply that to most most of what you do. Um, I'm, I think psychology is, like, not used enough. I think in, in our mm. industry, like as a whole in, in fitness, you know, Agreed. it's like, oh, calories in, calories out. Like, uh, yeah, like uh, we could. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because we're both, I would say, from kind of the evidence-based crowd. But yes. at the same time, we understand that it's like data is data and it shows you something, but it doesn't take away like life experience, like uh, or the context, which is very important. And the individual you know like there's so much like uh differences from from one person to another and then average doesn't always like uh take into account that aspect i think you did a post about that not so long ago about like uh yeah i mean i think i think that the most important thing to recognize is that like data is beautiful because it can provide us like an overall an overarching kind of story if we look at like data trends for example um, but it doesn't give us like the intricate kind of plot, if that makes sense. And so you can use data to guide you, knowing that sometimes life will come in and create some kind of variability that throws that or skews that data slightly. And like this is what, you know, in psychology and psychological research, like that's one of the hardest things is, is because you're not studying matter. Yeah. You, you might be studying behavior, but you're also trying to study things that are like inside someone's head. And yeah. so to operationalize those things is really difficult. I think you're right. I think like psychology isn't utilized enough in, I think that some of the stuff that I've learned in this degree should have been taught to me when I did my PT work um, yeah. because it's understanding that relational experience. Don't you think that PTs, we have this like weird very close relationship with our clients in a way that I don't mean that in an inappropriate way, although that happens too, but I more mean yeah. we have, we have this like, so some of the things that I've been privy to across my career as a PT, so not so much online PT, but as a PT, when I was working one-on-one -on -one with people was like, I'd hear about their failing marriages. I'd hear about cheating, both from the cheater and the cheatee. I'd hear about, you know, children doing things that were impacting the entire family. I mean, you're just subject to it because when people are exercising, they're in a sort of vulnerable state and they're just kind of, it's like this therapy session. So to me, PT courses and PT in a, as a whole and PTs would really benefit from understanding some of this stuff, not so that they can be their psychologist, but so that they can understand what to do with that information and then maybe, you know, refer out or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I, I think um, it's a big 
part of personal training. And when you see the, the usually the best results you have with people is the people you are the closest to. You understand yeah. the bet the best, you know, because then you can implement uh, the changing in their habits that you can could they can actually sustain. You know, like uh, just going yes. to them and being like, okay, this is your meal plan, this is your training. If you follow this, is gonna it's gonna work. And it's like, yeah, but like, how do you make them like actually change their lifestyle to follow these like new guidelines? Who going to get them to the results. Um, I would, can I ask you a question then? Yeah. <laughs> so reverse. how do you <laughs> reverse, yeah, reverse podcast. So something that I found difficult, and this may just be indicative of my personality, is that I had always had trouble with boundaries as a personal trainer. So things would lean into being a bit more of a psychology session, which the other end of that spectrum is that your clients become so close that it's very difficult to implement like not so much an authority but it's like yeah to stay neutral to be to stay neutral yes or or more so like so something that's really beneficial I think about the PT relationship is that and people often say this right clients will often say like I just need someone to be accountable to yeah but if you fall too much to the end of the like psychology side of things a psychologist's role is to remain neutral, actually, and to remain sort of like, I don't have any judgment over what you do. Now, not that mm. our role as a PT is to be judgmental, but it's still to hold some kind of like standard to their behaviors throughout their week so that they get their results, right? So I wondered how you maintain those boundaries with your clients that you get close to. Well, I think it's it's always about communicating on making them responsible for the results you know that's that's very that's important it, it, it's making them accountable in that way also you know it's like yes mm. i'm here to help you but like you're making the changes on your daily life that are gonna like drive the results so i think that's a very important not to take you know like all the responsibility from from the client as you get closer and closer and be like oh yeah so maybe we'll try this or try that like uh <clears throat> I think you need to stay professional, especially like you've you spoken about that, but like that's unfortunately something you see like way too much in in the industry, like uh, with coaching yeah. having like a kind of a, a dark side to it, I would say. Um, <laughs> but then I think everyone's going to do mistakes, you know. Like I've had I've done mistakes in the past where I felt that I was getting too close to to someone I was coaching and not not like in a relationship side I mean Mm -hmm. in in the Mm -hmm. terms of like I felt like my decisions were starting to be biased because like I yeah you know like kind of the Pygmalion effect of like not wanting to be hard enough on someone because like oh yeah (laughs) totally maybe she will not be able to follow that or oh yes he's a bit tired at the moment maybe we should like deload and everything instead of looking more at the data and being like no actually like like just implement take your feelings and emotion out of that like coaching and just just carry on and i think that's what i do is of course there's communication of course there's understanding but i still coach with data and i try to follow that and see where we're going and then like my decisions are based on that more than like the emotions that I'm I'm feeling in a sense. Yeah. Agree, agree wholeheartedly, which is why you need to be good at both. It's like you have to be sensitive enough to 
your client as well as your own cognitive biases, which is where psychology can also obviously help as well. But then also, yeah, it's looking for the trends in the data and looking at like the data overall, not becoming like uh, hyper fixated on it either, but also definitely still letting it be the thing that guides you for sure. Um, so do you think everyone can lose weight? <laughs> Super hard question, but like the more you get into psychology, the more you understand that like calories in calories out is still true, but like there's so yes. much more to it. And yes. if so many people are struggling with losing weight, like what do you think is the biggest culprit? Like in Ooh. that aspect? Well, I don't know whether I can say what is necessarily the biggest culprit because like I don't that so recently I just had to write a paper on um uh like not not a journal paper but like a, a an assignment uh which was on um essentially looking at some of the psychological risk factors for obesity <clears throat> and overweight. <clears throat> and there's lots of different psychological factors. But some interesting ones that came up actually were um, something called ACE. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but Adverse Childhood Experiences. Yeah. That one is very out of the scope of like what a PT should be handling. However, in some cases, if you have a client that has, you know, that has obesity, it's worth asking them if they've ever done that ACE ACE test, which is a series of questions. And it just looks at, you know, what, um, like, have you, how many or how uh, traumatic essentially was your childhood? How many of these adverse experiences did you have? And what they found in the research is that anything above a four has a insanely high correlation with obesity, like insanely. And there's a really interesting story about it, which I won't go into, but definitely worth making a mental note of that and looking at the research that led to or the story that led to creating this this ACE test. Now, that's one thing that can be a huge contributing factor. So if you have an obese, a client with obesity and they have have a very high level of adverse childhood experiences, but you just keep pushing them to change their behavior and you're like, my God, why can't you just get this? Literally, like stick to your behaviors. You're not being accountable to me. You're failing me as a client. Like that's so not just insensitive, but also you're completely missing the fact that there could be this whole other realm of results that they could be getting through unpacking their psychology, obviously not with you, the PT, but through other mechanisms. And you can still remain their trainer and help them with their behavior and training in other ways, but just enable them or help open their mind to the idea that maybe this is is a factor a contributing factor another thing that's really interesting that i found when writing this was um or researching this was on um ageism <clears throat> so ageism the way that they, what they've started to find is a pattern in the perspective that people have of aging as a concept can is also correlated with weight gain later in life. So if you have a really bad perspective on age and on aging, then the likelihood of you having obesity, having overweight later in life is much higher than if you have a sense of like positivity towards it or you're not afraid of it or you kind of welcome it. And I mean, there's lots of reasons for why that could be. I don't have all the mechanistic reasons for exactly what that reason, what, what that likelihood 
is. But I. essentially, e. like, I'm getting older, so I'm going to get fat, basically. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, <clears throat> this is this is this is part of getting older, yeah. you know, and you have that sort of negative closed uh, mindset around it. Whereas if you have a positive mindset around it or even just like an accepting aspect of it, then it's like this kind of um, essentially the research showed that people were more likely to engage in exercise and health practices and health behaviors in a more committed way than people who negatively looked at aging. And I mean, all this stuff is like logical, but it's not stuff that we think of when we look at things like calories in, calories out, which is physiologically a law, but it's just not taking into account the behaviors. Yeah. I think so many PTs would benefit from, you know, like um, sending their clients, it's not sending, sorry, it's referring referring. uh, their client to, to, to a psychologist or to get help on on the on that side i i feel they don't because it's kind of also a ego thing you know of being like mm. oh i'm not able to help this person with like uh what i've yeah. been implementing for so long that has worked for so many people and like it's it's her fault you know like it's uh it, it's hard to to question yeah. your practice and being like oh no it's it's not my fault it's just that like what i'm asking her to do is 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 too hard for her at this point to to change basically change her habits change her um there's there's a concept that you've spoken about also like is a, a cbt uh mm-hmm. cognitive uh behavioral um, therapy therapy mm-hmm. do you think that is something that like personal trainers could maybe like uh implement a bit in in their practice and if you can explain it and like uh, how or how you would see yeah. things Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially an approach to therapy that looks at two things, your cognitions and your behaviors. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) And so um, our cognitions obviously impact our behavior and our behavior then has like this cyclical effect and impacts our cognition. So cognitive behavioral therapy is about looking at and I guess uh, holding up a mirror to or shining a light on things that might be a little bit like that we're unaware of because we're just locked in behavior. And so by shining a light on some of your cognitions, these deeper underlying thoughts and beliefs that we may have, we can then start to uncover some of the areas in which, um, you know, maybe there's a cognitive dissonance or there's a distortion and I'll go into that in a second but really CBT what's amazing about it is that it just has so when CBT is combined with other like health interventions even if it's not um, medicalized um, but with medic with uh, medicine as well really improves the efficacy of someone or, or, or the results someone's going to achieve so essentially if you were to put cognitive behavioral therapy or some of the exercises even just the homework alongside other into health interventions it just basically is kind of like a booster i don't want to say steroid but <laughs> let's just call it a steroid it just helps basically people engage with it more so an example of a of an exercise is one, so one of the biggest things is to kind of uncover your cognitive distortions now in cognitive behavioral therapy there's this concept called um, a schema have you ever heard of that a schema? No. <clears throat> so a schema is like we all have schemas. They're just mental frameworks of how okay. we perceive perceive the world. So like, you know, I, like I have a schema of a of a bottle in my mind that I formed when I was a baby or 
maybe slightly older, right? And so I know that it's going to like maybe hold some liquid. It's going to, so there's certain features about it, but that's an object. So we have schemas about a bunch of things. We have schemas about exercise, about relationships, about all kinds of things. And they form when we're young, they can be changed by traumatic experiences or like big life-changing experiences. So if I have a car accident that involves like a bottle getting pushed through my neck, I don't know why I'm thinking of something so violent, but anyway, um, then I'm going to have, that's going to contribute to my feelings about bottles in some way, right? And so that Mm. changes the schema slightly. But for the most part, they say that these are fairly um, static throughout your life. So they're fairly like, they're quite, they can be quite hard to change unless you start to do the behavioral and cognitive work around trying to unpack it a little bit. So something I always bring up with people is like, what's your, what's your schema around exercise? What is it to you? And what is your relationship with it? So some people are like, I'm a fit person. I always have been, I love exercise. I love the way it makes me feel. And those people, when we get them as clients, they don't tend to be too difficult to encourage towards their health behaviors. If we get someone who says, I'm overweight, I want to change my life, I'm really committed, I'm so committed, I'm so ready, but somehow their behavior just doesn't seem to match what they want. If you go through their, their cognitions around exercise and you start to figure out like, okay, well, how do you really feel about it? It's like, well, I've never been a sporty person when I was younger. You know, for example, like I never got picked in school to be part of the sports team. And so I've just never really liked it. It really makes me feel uncomfortable. So when you get to those, you can kind of say, okay, but can you see how that that belief you have around exercise might be contraindicating the results that you want to achieve? So let's try to rewrite this narrative. Let's try to change the way you feel about exercise. Now, here's the here's the part that's really important is that the only way to really change a cognition, you can think as much as you want, but is through behavior. And so that's why I like that saying, like the only way is through, like the only way that you're going to come to like exercise is if you do it more. <laughs> and if you start to pay attention to those things around exercise, like the way it makes you feel, like the strength it gives you, like those sorts of things. So we need the behavioral part. Um, And so it's not just cognitive therapy, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, because they both have an interrelationship with each other. Yeah, I really like what you're saying. It it kind of resonates a lot with uh, what we talk about in in the course. Um, We spoke about, we speak about intrinsic uh, motivation, you know, and and how we get people to because there's this whole belief of motivation in fitness about like yeah like uh, tomorrow is monday and 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 that monday um, motivation is just gonna come up come out of nowhere and i'm gonna go to gym and stick to my diet and everything and <clears throat> we explained that it comes literally through three key components which are uh, competence uh, mm-hmm. autonomy and relatedness and what you were speaking about is that is like Competence is very important because when you start doing something and you get better at it, you stick to it way easily, you know, like, and the more you do it, the more autonomous you get to it, uh, at it also. And, and that's, that's what I see through coaching, you know, like, and this is how we get, like, I think the the best result is like, the more the client becomes autonomous and like uh, competent in, in what uh, they're doing, the more like uh, the motivation kind of disappears and it just becomes like a, a habit you know so and, true. and 
you were speaking about uh, self-efficacy also. Mm-hmm. I think that's Your a, self-efficacy, a, yes. Yeah, yes. I think that's a great concept, which kind of like, you know, uh, it definitely marries like, with what you're that. saying about yeah. yeah and also marries competence like that's a I mean essentially it's the same thing right because self-efficacy is really looking at um, how much do you believe that you're going to be able to achieve said behavior right so like p- some people might have high self-efficacy around like their job but not so much weight training or exercise. And so if you have low self-efficacy, you don't think that you can achieve it or do it or engage with it, then what they found in psychological research, particularly health psychology research, is that anyone with low self-efficacy around a particular health behavior is unlikely to engage with that behavior. And so that's why, you know, in in uh, like all through fitness, the narrative, and even in you know, government health initiatives, the narrative is always like, it just takes five minutes a day to get it done. You know, you can do it in the ad breaks. You can do it here and there. And as people, like, I'm sure, I don't know, I I guess I can't speak for you, but I definitely, prior to understanding why that was an important part of like advertising or, or encouraging people, is it irked me. I was like, that's lying to people. It doesn't just take five minutes a day. But I realize now the importance of, of like, obviously step by step. So yes, five, maybe it it is going to start at five minutes a day for some people, but also um, acknowledging that we're trying to make it seem achievable. Mm. I just, how do you hold the integrity (laughs) and still be like, it's It's achievable, but it's also hard. And so I don't know if you, if you know the book, uh, uh, Atomic Habits. Yes, I do. Yeah. He speaks about the two-minute rules also in a, in, yeah. in a way of implementing a new habit. And I think when you explain it like that, you can, you know, keep your integrity and be like, yeah, okay, like just do five minutes of training today because, you know, like if you take five minutes, usually you're going to do longer. You're going to do maybe, even for someone who doesn't want to train, they're going to be, ah, I'm there. Like I'm just going to do like 15, 20 minutes and it's better than nothing right? It's still better than nothing. And and it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I often, I feel like I need 10 minutes. I feel like five minutes. I'll be like, oh, this is a waste of time. And it's hard. I feel like I need 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, I tend to be like, I mean, I would say like 99%. I don't know if I've ever left. In fact, I don't think I've ever left something, even, at, even when I started at a really low, low, low motivation to kind of engage with it. I, I I've never stopped at 10 minutes. You know, that's my biggest struggle in life, especially for books or films. Like I can, I am so bad at like starting a book and being like, this book is shit. Or like, I, I'm not like getting yes. into it and be like, no, I need to finish it to be sure. And then I finished the book. And I was like, oh, I could have start, stopped like at like 30 pages and it would have been like a, another waste of time. And it, it's every time I'm telling myself, like the time you're spending reading this book that you don't like, is the time you're like losing not reading another book that you would actually like like or, or learn from and it's so i don't know is is that something you have also or can you just I stop something i can stop books i probably have that in relationships <laughs> Oh, wow. not the current not All the current right. relationship but but it's like I mean everything it's so funny I'm like oh I wish I I wish that that was my problem with just with the book as opposed to people mm. where it's like you know I I sort of have definitely experienced the sunk cost fallacy many times with people where it's like 
I can't leave something because I'm like, no, but we've come this far. Can I just keep, what about next week? What if I tried this thing to the detriment of my own health and well-being? So I think for different things, I can definitely shut them down. (laughs) But so I could put down a book that I wasn't interested in 100%. Can I put down a person? No. (laughs) And then like not put them down to kill them. But like even if something is somewhat wasting my time, destructive, whatever. It's like, that's Mm. the thing I have to get to the end to. I'm like searching for the rock bottom in a way to see like, okay, but is this failure or is there, is there something around the corner that could help me go further? Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, (laughs) Not healthy. this This is actually something I wanted to talk to you about because you have a big presence on social media and and we know that it's it's not always easy to manage like your personal life and your professional like image you know of like a Sean of virtue um how how do you balance that how how do you see these things because you're you're pretty transparent you know like and at the same time i guess that you still like keep stuff for yourself like mm. this is something that's been very hard for me uh, personally because i really hard hard in what way do you what way do you find it hard personally well initially when i started like working online i literally didn't want to be online at all like Mm. i wanted to just like build this business and like okay i don't want to put my face anywhere and then Mm. i understood that personal branding is important people kind of appreciate and i was like okay i'm going to compromise on the negative aspects of you know like social media and like what it like how it affects my life in a sense, because mm. that's how, how I'm going to have a big impact and I'm going to be able to help more people, you know, and, and it's kind of the, the trade-off I have to make in a sense. Yes. But at the same time, I don't share much. I, of you your know, personal maybe, life. Yeah. 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 Look, I don't know if I have the answer to this because it is something that's ongoing for me as a struggle. I think in my 20, I mean, I've been on Instagram for quite some time now. Uh, when did I, I mean, I, I started, I, I had an account when Instagram came out. It was just like me sharing pictures of like the beach or whatever. It wasn't really anything business related, even though I was a personal trainer at the time, Instagram wasn't used in that way. Then um, I had my, I'd built my personal training business in Sydney and that wasn't through Instagram moved to London worked at some commercial gyms thinking I would be able to do what I did in Sydney in in London and I mean the models that they were using in London were like insane I was getting paid like six pounds an hour eight pounds an hour to do you know to do a job that was like they were charging the clients 120 pounds and so I was like I'm can barely pay for food. Uh, And this was when I first had moved to London and I was like, this is not okay. So um, I quit and started renting a space in in a gym, just renting like a sort of cubicle area that I could train people in. But I, I didn't really have any clients because no, I was like, well, how do this is just a little tiny space? How do I get them? So then I was like, okay, I'm going to start just, I guess, advertising on social media and being like, hey, you know, I do these sessions, and that's what prompted me to start sharing different tips and things like that. I'd never had the intention of like growing a massive Instagram account. It was just purely like I'll share this, and then I'll meet people that are interested in the way that I train. And I did, and I built a client base out of this small space uh, in um, in London. And anyway, from there, it continued to grow. Social media continued to grow. And then all kinds of other opportunities grew out of that. And 
the thing that has always been a theme has been, yes, as you've said, touched on, people want to buy from other people, not brands. And so the interesting line that you have to to kind of like walk along is a personal brand because you're still a brand to a degree, um, but it's pers- it has to be personal and personal enough so that there is some kind of commercial success and but also commercial closeness or like sorry personal closeness with commercial success. So um, something that I've always struggled with is like okay well I know that people want to see into my personal life to a degree because you feel more relatable related to the person who's sharing something about themselves, right? And it makes you feel closer to them and therefore you're more likely to be like, yes, okay, well, this person believes in X, Y, Z and I believe in that too and therefore I'm going to listen to what they say about right. whatever. <clears throat> the, the tricky part is is that the more you give, the more you're subject to obviously criticism about your personal choices, which then implicates like how you feel about yourself. And so you're constantly questioning your own personal choices and it can create this like underlying anxiety around like, have I made the right decision here to present myself in this way, but this is my authentic self, but then other people don't like it. And so, yeah, you're sort of met with this like thing of like juggling how much of your personal life you give insight into, because whatever you give insight into, people are going to have an opinion on. Um, As I've gotten older and as I've spent longer periods of time on Instagram, I realized that that's just my own ego, having an attachment to what those people think of me. And so to some degree, I have to accept that not everyone's going to appreciate the way that I live my life. Um, And I only share things that I'm comfortable having other people, strangers, criticize me for, if that makes sense. Mm. So, for example, I recently shared, you know, that I'm pregnant and I'm having a baby and I had an influx of people and I, I spent a long time waiting to do that. I was, I kind of knew that I was going to receive two kinds of feedback, some positive, and then I was waiting for a cohort of people to come through to tell me about how disappointed they were that I was having children. And that was what I got. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, I got, I got a lot crazy. of women. I, I had like a lot of women especially write to me saying like, I always followed you because you seemed like you were, and this is what I found interesting, mm. an independent woman who didn't need all that stuff. <laughs> and I was like... Well, why can't you be independent and and be, um, yeah, I just didn't understand what the, cor- like how you're conflating the two together. Like, how are you saying that um, if I'm wanting to engage in the maternal side of my life and, and expression as being something that means that I'm no longer independent? So it was an interesting projection, I guess, from people, but I was waiting for it. And then I had some people say like, you know, actually it's really hard to watch you do that because that's something I want so much. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to unfollow you or I'm going to disconnect for a while because it's quite triggering for me. And like, that's totally okay. Like I understand that perspective for sure, but I just knew that I was going to be met with something. So in sharing it, I was like, I'm going to share this knowing that some people will criticize. Now, there are some things about my life 
uh, I don't want to call them secrets. They're just my life that I don't share on social media because I'm not ready to have a whole bunch of strangers <laughs> jump on me about uh, whether that's an okay or not okay way to live my life. <laughs> and so it's so, just, you just have to make that decision. So basically you, you, you share what you're absolutely confident that you're, because what I see is like, uh, is maybe the, the scary part of like when a lot of people question your choices, you start questioning mm. your own choices. Totally. You know? Totally. And I think well, that's completely human nature to be like that. I, I, I mean, I know there are some people out there that um, seem like very like high conviction and they can share, but that's because they've also made that decision to be high conviction in that particular thing. And this is what I've come to realize is that even those people, and I've met them, no matter how high conviction they come across online, there's going to be some area of their life that they're not quite ready yet to share or that they're not quite. And that's completely okay like we don't we shouldn't be expecting content creators in any industry any format to be like sharing something that they don't feel comfortable with sharing and it's very easy to criticize people for not being authentic <laughs> it's like the irony of that is that I'm like hey like nothing on this is is authentic truly because the, the very act of consuming something on a phone or on a computer or anything is in and of itself not the same as real life. So we have to accept that. Just because it's a, like, it, that's the yeah, thing that you know, me. It's like real life, but it's, no, it's not at all. But, but you know how it is, is like, even for you and me, we know it's not real life. And yes. still, like, we consume content and it, it, it goes through our eyes, hits our brain, yep. and we kind of, like... It, we can't every time we consume something tell ourselves it's not true it's not no, true it's not true because it's, it's true. there and it's, it's so hard you know like I, yes. I would see it like in uh, many years ago when i was consuming you know a, a lot more fitness content and comparing my physique with you know with like other like uh, fitness people fitness oh, competitors yeah, totally. and everything and yes. you're always like you know it's like potentially a photo shoot good lightning peak prep and everything and still you're like oh yeah, but he looks better than me or something like that. Totally. You know, terrible. Totally. Well, but the, and the thing is, is like, so there's this thing called social comparison theory, Leon Festinger, psychologist, a social psychologist many, many years ago created it um, or, or founded the theory essentially. But you've probably heard of like upward and downward social comparisons. So like an upward social comparison is where we look at someone and we're like, whoa, you guys, you're amazing. Like someone who might be wealthier or better looking or whatever we might perceive them to be downward social comparison is looking at someone and being like wow I'm I'm in a better place than you now the idea behind this theory is that like we have to have a sort of balance of these upward and social uh, upward and downward social comparisons in order to sort of feel a sense of harmony in our existence like some upward is okay because we can aspire and it pushes us too much is not good now one of the biggest issues with social media at the moment is that um now, at first, I thought that it was that we had too many upward social comparisons. And there was definitely a period where there was like a lot of upward social comparisons. It was like, every, I mean, it's everyone's highlight reel. It's everyone's like, uh, you know, just perfectly edited imagery. And now that's still the case in fitness, definitely. But um, now what I find that we're having is uh, <laughs> a mix, but we have like extreme downward social comparisons where we feel like 
oh, I should be more grateful. And then at the same time, we have extreme upward social comparisons where it's like, this person has made a hundred million dollars in two weeks and they have a private jet and they're blah, blah, blah. And it's like all these things. And this is where it causes this like huge, like just discomfort in our existence. I honestly think that the only way is to use them to to use them like or to be measured with your use just like you would be measured with your use with hyper palatable foods or uh with cigarettes or with like any of the things that you know might be quote unquote bad for us. I mean definitely cigarettes are not great for us in any context but let's just say like um let's just say like foods for example food is not good or bad it's only bad in certain contexts where there's an excess or there's an excess of a certain type right and i think that that can be the same for social media i think in and of itself it's not good or bad actually it can be really good in some circumstances can be really bad in the wrong context or if we overconsume it and so i think it's just about being measured but i think we don't see it like that yet Hello there. If you enjoyed the podcast and find it valuable, I have a small favor to ask. Could you please take a moment to leave a positive review on your podcast platform? Your feedback means the world to me and helps others discover the show. And if you really love what I do, consider sharing the podcast with a friend who might benefit from it. Your support helps to grow the show and I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for being an awesome part of this community. I know I'm comparing myself to you often and I'm seeing like all the stuff that you do, all the content that you post. And I'm always like, damn, she's getting so much done. Uh, oh, could really? maybe, you, you, yeah, like Gosh. amazing, amazing. I'm impressed all the, all the, always. Um, maybe for, could you share like, because we were sh uh, sharing emails and I saw that you were uh, using Superhuman, which is a, <laughs> an application that helps to treat email like uh, faster. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> like, uh, I'm happy I'm using it too because I'm doing like Shona. Do you have like more maybe like uh, tools or maybe tips that like helps yes. you be more productive? Yes. Yes. In fact, I'm just going to open it up right now. Look, I'm getting my phone up. For anyone that's just listening, I'm, She's I'm such I, a geek I, like me. Touched my phone, but I use this app. Okay. This is, this app is ridiculous in the, in the sense that like I, I could just manually do it. Okay. I could definitely manually enter on all my tasks, try to span it across my week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, and I have the luxury of being able to afford to subscribe to this app called motion AI. Have you heard of motion? Yeah, of course. Sounds like, okay. It sounds like I'm, <laughs> I d definitely don't have like shares in this company. I'm not selling it. I'm not getting commission, but because I'm trying to juggle uni and full-time uni. So, you know, I have like many different assignments that I'm trying to get through, lectures to watch, quizzes to do, like all kinds of things through that. Then I also have certain projects that I'm trying to get finished because I am my own boss, essentially. Um, I have people to, like people manage. that work for me that I, yeah, that I have to manage. And so it's like, I need to make sure I'm on top of that. There's just too many things to adhere to. And then let's add training in on top of that. So what I like about Motion is that it's AI that will all I have to do is enter in every task, uh, every project that I'm doing and give some deadlines to them. So you can do a soft deadline. So like aiming for an April release or aiming for a November release, or you can do a hard deadline. It's like 24th, this essay is due. And so 
what it does is it looks at your, it syncs with your calendar. So it looks at all the events you have across and then it just, you decide those, the hours that you're going to be willing to sit at your desk to do work or willing to do work on the project. And it will, I'm going to show you in the screen, but basically what, what, okay. So I'm going to have to explain it for people that are just listening, but essentially what it's doing is it's splitting all my tasks. So for example, after this podcast, I've got to work on the psychology of eating essay that I have to write. Um, so, after that. Yes. Sorry, sorry to cut you. So you organize no, your, your day by blocks of work specifically to a certain task. That's how you organize yourself. Exactly. Okay. Perfect summary. Thank you. <laughs> um, are you very um, uh, are you very strict on your days? Like, could you like uh, tell us? Like, do you have like a classic day where you have like certain blocks uh, for training, for mm. working, and everything, or does it change depending on the day, weekdays, weekends? Well, lately it's really been at the mercy of that app because it's it's been able to like put things in accordingly, provided I've got all the tasks and events that have gone in. So, so as soon as a new event comes in, something new in my calendar, it'll just like rearrange everything. Okay. And so it does it automatically. <clears throat> I don't have to worry about doing that. Um, look, the, 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 there are definite like non-negotiable elements of my day. So brushing I find that teeth. if I train, yeah, yeah, brushing my teeth and making sure I drink some water. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, so so there's definitely non-negotiables. I'm not going to tell you that I sit down and meditate for 20 minutes every morning and every evening. Like I don't have morning routines like that. Uh, I definitely, pardon? I'm disappointed. disappointed. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I used to. It's just like I just don't have the capacity to do that. And I know that once a baby's in my life as well, that's going to be a whole other kettle of fish to try and juggle as well yep. and at the mercy of them. So I actually try to maintain a level of adaptability and flexibility throughout my day without necessarily having like, a firm block. That being said, I do have some non-negotiables, which is like try to exercise in the morning as opposed to pushing it later in the day, just because mm -hmm. I find that exercise in the morning does feel better for my cognition throughout the rest of the day. So when I'm focusing on tasks, the biggest issue is if I sit down straight away, and this depends on the exercise, by the way. So I definitely feel like if it's a big demanding strength session, then it actually messes with my cognition for the rest of the day. And I actually find it hard to get back onto tasks. So if That's it's a strength session, yeah. So if it's a strength session, I actually push it back a little bit. If it's cardio or something that's a little bit more, uh, less, less neurologically demanding, then I'm fine to do it in the morning. And it kind of like gets me up and focused. Uh, but yeah, anything like really demanding, I, I have to push that a little bit later. So you usually day. wake so, up, do some physical activity and then start working? Yes, some kind of physical activity. Yeah, exactly. And and I will do some sort of like stillness practice in some way, um, but it's normally like first thing as soon as I wake up, I sit up in bed and it's just like maybe it's taking like 10 deep breaths or it's just kind of focusing because there's always, I don't know if anyone else has this, but there's always quite a bit of noise in my mind when I first wake up. And oh. so sometimes those are like ideas. Sometimes they're like concepts that are coming to me that I want to talk about or share or just reminders of things I have to do. So I just try to like take a moment of stillness before I engage into that type of cognition, if that makes sense. And do you have like a, do you do a walk or do you do like a, some, something like that? Like do you structure also like that kind of? Yeah. 
so it's really funny. Like my, my life changes based on the, the environment I'm in. Mm. Um, I, my Australian lifestyle versus my UK lifestyle is a little bit different. So yeah. my Australian lifestyle is definitely like wake up, like sit, do some breath work, go for a walk and then sit at my desk, you know, get that bipedal kind of like, I need to make sure that I get connect to that, um, you know, so that I get the light on my retinas. Huberman yeah. always talks about things like that. And I know that that's good for me. I just can't seem to engage with it when I'm in London because when I leave my flat, I'm not really walking somewhere very romantic. It's sort of like oh, I'm in the city. Okay. All right. Smog yeah. everywhere. It's kind of a bit grim. And so the motivation and the joy is not quite the same yeah. as like walking in nature. And so it's not to say that I don't, it just definitely feels like a much harder task to engage with. Like I have to really like push myself. And actually I'm lucky that I have a gym upstairs in my flat and oh, it overlooks good. London and it's got one of those techno techno gym kind of things. So like I will walk on that and kind of look out at the rain and I'm like, okay, this is nice. However, I do remember <laughs> Huberman talking about the research on walking in the morning is um, you need to have things moving past your uh, vision for it to have that cognitive impact so like walking on a treadmill maybe isn't as effective as um well, as walking through maybe, the streets but it i'm like just, you know what just it, buy just buy three monitors and you know like put them on the side and you're you're sorted <laughs> walking on the no, exactly i'm like it's as good as it's gonna get but um i do look i i think that a, a morning walk is definitely like super important um it's just not always accessible to everyone yeah um so you were saying that you you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're your own boss. Um, are you able to balance your time? Is it easy for you to cut off work and everything? Are you strict on that? Yeah. Like, do you take weekends? Do you take like yeah. a off time holidays? I, no. I, no. I, I, and, and like, Hey, I, I know that that's not necessary. That's, that's definitely a downfall, but, hey, um, I'm, I'm not the one who's going to tell you like, uh, that I'm better than you on that. So like, <laughs> it's, it's just interesting. It's just interesting because I think I have the same mindset as you. It's like, yeah. I know it's not perfect and I would like to be better at it, but it's, it's very hard. Same. Yeah. It's very difficult. And and also like, you know, I'm the same as you, like I'm consuming probably the same content as you. And so I see all the entrepreneurs that are out there that are like on the, you know, Alex Hormozy and Layla Hormozy, Hormozy and like they're all and they're constantly like, and they're making, yeah. what do they say? They say they make 300 pieces of content a week or something. And I'm just like, what? And so there's always someone doing something better than you. There's just always someone that's better at something. And so you just have to manage that's the thing. It's like, you have to like put those blinkers that they put on racehorses on, um, to just like focus in on your own stuff. Like, are you hitting the tasks that you set for yourself each week? Don't worry about what John and Layla are doing <laughs> anywhere else in your life. Focus on yourself. And then sure, like at the end of your day, maybe you want to like take those blinkers off for a second, get some inspiration from other people and then put them straight back on and go, okay, cool. Like reset if you need to, adapt, change if you need to. But in the same, it's the same stuff that we say to our clients with the training. It's like yeah. sometimes this stuff can be so confusing. Looking at Instagram all the time, all the different information. Oh, I saw somewhere that I should be taking creatine. I saw somewhere that I should be actually doing five sets of three reps as opposed to 12 
12 reps or whatever it might be. It's, it's like people are so confused because there's too much information. And so then they fail to engage in anything consistently. And the same thing I think happens for us if we're building a business or working on business is like nowadays there's so much business content online, so much entrepreneurial yeah. content yeah. that it's like, so we have to do the same yeah. thing. We have to go, okay, I'm going to just try and implement these three things for 12 weeks and see if that had an impact on the trends in my data. <laughs> it's, it's exactly that. When I was saying you, the, you know, like I was also looking at you and I, I was super impressed. It, it's, it comes down to, to that also. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, do you think that it has impacted you negatively uh, to never cut off? Like, has it impacted yes. maybe, I know it has had some impact on my health for certain periods, uh, relationships, stuff like yeah. that is, is it the same for you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, like yes, full stop. And yes, uh, I am lucky enough to be with someone now who like shares similar values. So we sort of have similar kind of like uh, goalposts where we're like, okay, we know where the goalposts are. We know that there's going to be an element of that. Definitely with relationships, you know, you do have to uh, make time for each other and um, keep those things healthy. It makes it easier if you're working on the same, not necessarily task, but like if you're working in the same direction, it's when you have different expectations, different values that things can kind of go haywire a little bit. But um, yeah, I would definitely say it's it's had negative impacts on my mental health because so much of my identity is wrapped into my success. Mm -hmm. And so if there's any point in time where the validation of success is not met to the expectations I've set or worse, the expectations that I think I should have of myself based on what other people are doing, then I've found that that's made me feel really shit and that's led to anxiety and that's led to you know me creating content that isn't necessarily truly like an inspired action and it's more like I have to and that content just never does as well when we feel like we have to make content it just somehow I don't know how I don't know what the mechanisms are behind it but it just somehow doesn't seem to do as well as the content that like comes from this place of like I feel really inspired to share this you know, I feel really ready to like connect with this, but that's, that's part of the process of like, you know, I've again, I mean, bring it back to training. It's like, it, I'm always telling people like, try not to over identify with one data point. So like, if you step on the scales one day and it doesn't reflect something that you were hoping for, that's one data point in one time period. What we're trying to look at is trends in data. So even if a single post or some piece of content that you create doesn't do that well, it's, you can't look at that and be like, oh, that's it. That's it. I'm never creating content again or I'm a failure <laughs> or I suck, right? Which is really easy to do. And it's what people yeah. do with their weight or with their body composition yeah. or something. You know what I mean? And so I just have to apply the same same medicine I dish out to clients, really. <laughs> you created the perfect segue to I have like a few rapid fire questions because I knew you go. I know you need to to go That's on right. with I'm your good. with your day soon. That's fine. Um, go for it. So what is success for you? How would you define it? So not to come back to the biopsychosocial model, but definitely <laughs> success for me is in some way feeling content in 
uh, or having some level of like health through my physiology, my psychology, and definitely my social relationships. Definitely. And then I think like something that I talk about is like the, the BPS ES model, which is like biopsychosocial, economic and spiritual. Cause I think that um. Finances are so important to us these days um, and they have more and more meaning. Money has more and more meaning for us uh, as as we continue as a species, I think. And so I think that there is such a thing as economic health. And then I also think there's such a thing as spiritual health. And so I do think that those things need to get sort of wound into that model. So success would be like, you know, some level of balance and contentment through each of those facets. So you've been very general here. <laughs> And I want to well, go you, a bit deeper on that. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. But like, for example, like, uh, Shona, 80 years old, uh, I ask you, like, have you had a successful life or are you, are you content with, with your life? Like, what would you be looking at, like, primarily? Okay, quick fire answer, I would probably be looking at my relationships. Okay. I'd say that they're, they're probably the most, you know, the most. I mean, because even you know, at times when I've felt sick, it's like one thing we can't escape in this universe is the interdependency that we have with it, with our environment, with our other people, with everything, whether it's a stranger that we think we don't know, whether it's someone like cleaning up the streets versus like, you know, our boyfriend or our girlfriend. And so um, I think relationships are probably the number one thing that I would be like at 80 looking back on and going, how were they, you know? All right. I like it. Uh, <laughs> favorite pass. drink? Favorite drink is, uh, is it really, bo is it really, bo I'm going to say, I'm going to be really boring water. and say like water, but only because I'm really quite bad at it. And I'm, I've just started to get good. And I've just started to notice how magic it is. Like my skin's better, my cognition's better. Like just, it, it's one of those things where it's so boring to say to someone like, well, make sure you stay hydrated. But it's like, fuck man, that, that it is honestly a bit of a magic pill that we love to ignore because it's so shit. If I wasn't saying something boring and if I was still in a period of drinking, then I would probably say like, I love the taste of whiskey, of a really good really? Japanese whiskey oh. oh my gosh like that was my dream dream drink and then I gave up alcohol but it was like I loved the taste of whiskey and I didn't need to drink a lot of it I wasn't aiming to get drunk on whiskey it was like I liked the way that I could just sip it and have this experience in my mouth that almost felt meditative in a way and I feel it run down my throat and just the whole experience of drinking a very good whiskey was so beautiful to me I thought you were going to say coffee because you Aussies are like insane on coffee, but okay. Yeah. Um, I think I like the effect of coffee more than the taste, to be honest, even uh, though I'm a snobby about it, but I, but I definitely prefer how it makes me feel than that bitter bean. Do you have an inspiration, like someone who inspires you and why? Mm. Okay. This is always fluctuating, but I'm going to be very honest and tell you that I never respected mothers in the way that I now respect that process mm. and that thing. And I know it's really cliche to say, and we hear it all the time, but I, anyone that's like experiencing this, like birthing process is so like, it is so wild to me what happens. 
that I have this whole new respect for just the female body, actually. I do, mm. it, even if you're not having a baby, it's like this whole experience is just so has changed the way that I look at this and the and the female body just purely because I realized how much or especially in fitness we really treat female bodies as like little men and now I'm like oh gosh you know like some I, of the things that I've said yeah I, I actually understood only like I think three or four years ago um the the that the the head of the baby had to go through like the pelvis <laughs> I know it's maybe stupid to a lot of people, but like I, I understood that like four, three or four years ago, and I was like, "Yeah, wow, okay, now I understand yeah. serious stuff." <laughs> totally, and then also like, I, okay, I'm going to be honest and say that I didn't understand the pelvic floor in the right way. So a lot of actually what we're taught um, about bracing for weight training is obviously based on the data that we've taken from male bodies and they don't have the same discrepancy in their pelvic floor because they don't have this extra hole that sits in the middle. So you guys have like way more musculature that sits around when you look at the difference between the male and female. And it's then, still problematic for a lot of, of male, you know. Totally, like 100%, it, 100%. It's true, it's more... True it's more prevalent in in females because like you don't have an extra like a piece to hold stuff you know like uh but yeah exactly it, yeah yes definitely. i have a podcast and actually on it do you on on bracing like on how oh yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah on the pelvic floor like uh breathing and the complication that you have especially in strength athletes you know yes who, who get more and more stronger and stronger but like don't understand how to brace correctly or like have bad habits totally. of bracing is very complicated now and they definitely uh, and there's definitely like a push to um like uh i feel like there's a push to almost like encourage people to have incontinence <laughs> in a way it's kind of like well are you really hitting a pb if you didn't piss yourself <laughs> and so it's like um you know I, I think i think for men it's one thing but for women one of the implications is that many of these women do actually want to have children later in life oh. and the issue is is that if you have been bracing in that way um, that is compromising the pelvic floor that you may have a prolapse and prolapse is not fun no. <laughs> so so it, yeah exactly so it's one of those things where I'm like oh there's not enough so yeah in terms of inspiration I think I'm just really inspired by female form in a way and just understanding how intricate it is and how incredible it is in, in a way that I didn't before. And it's not to say that the male form is not intricate and interesting as well. It's just that so much of the focus, at least for my life and my lens has very much been on like, I, I think ma male form in a way, like it, based on what the, re where the research has been. Right. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and pregnancy is going to be an impulse, uh, off timer. So, that's going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Good, well, exactly. good luck. Thank you. Thank you. It's been challenging uh, to say the least. Yeah. In which subject uh, were you the worst at school? Mm, I would say mathematics. And I have a yeah. psychological reason really? for that, actually. Yes, I was terrible it, at maths a because scheme? a schema. Yeah, it, it has a lot to do with the schema that was set up. So when my parents were splitting and things were like particularly violent, I mean, I've let go of this now and like 
opened my eyes to the idea. And this is part of that cognitive behavioral therapy of going, well, I can continue to tell the story that I'm bad at maths and continue to be bad at maths, or I can rewrite this story and just decide that I'm good at maths. And so as soon as I did that, I was like, okay, cool. I'm good at statistics. I'm going to be, I'm going to nail this subject. And I've done really well in stats, but it's, it's not having that coming to that thing of being like, I'm bad at this. And it's because, yeah, when I was younger and I was doing math subjects, it was one thing that I sort of wasn't necessarily naturally good at. And so I would bring it to my dad to ask, you know, like, could you help me with this assignment? He was under all kinds of stress, but I'm a child, so I don't really understand that yet. And so he would respond in a very emotional let's say, quote unquote, impatient way, but I understand where the impatient came from. But um, it, it then made me feel very nervous. So for a very long time in my life, any time, even the simplest equation, two plus two, I would hear equation and my immediate schema would start uh -huh. to get into play and I'd start sweating. My mouth would dry up. I mean, even if I knew the answer, I would immediately like tense up and it was, I was having this very visceral, very, uh, yeah, intense response to just mathematics as a whole didn't matter whether I was good or bad or whatever just was like immediate so yeah what advice would you give your younger self <sighs> 20 years old Shona I think that one of the best things that I ever started to apply was um what other people think of you is none of your business because we're all behaving with our own schemas, as I said, our own projections, our own feelings about the experience that we've had in life. And we often project that onto other people. And therefore, anything that people feel about you is often a reflection of themselves. So whether it's good or it's bad, it doesn't actually matter. What matters is how you feel about yourself and whether you're interacting with people in a, obviously a kind, non-harming way, but it's like what other people think about you is none of your business. I let it dictate so much of my life and it's caused me so much stress through my life to the point. Yeah, we all do to the point where I was like, I don't even know who I am. And so actually, if you close that noise out, the sooner the better. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I, I did a reel about that saying that it, it's also something you can't control. You can't control no. like what people think about you. So whatever you do, just live your life, be authentic, just live authentic your life. to yourself. And, and yeah, it's most important. It's the only uh, thing you can do. What scares you? Uh, the first thing that came to mind, just because they're quick fire questions, uh, free diving still. <laughs> um, that's a very like physical it's fear. Nothing under 20 meters. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's still getting to me. I mean, I really, I know you do it. And so you're a pro right. at this. Um, but you know, when I speak to other free divers, uh, yeah. Okay. We, well, <laughs> it took me years to get past 10 meters. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, it's changed my relationship with fear though, I would say. And so definitely like, I know that the fears lurk. I know that, you know, fear for one's life is very real and we're very good at ignoring it because we have to in order to engage with the world. So I'm not saying that we should think about death all the time, but I think that something that I've really respected about the, the freediving process has been that confrontation with how you, your, what your relationship is to death to these things that um, we're so good at ignoring because it changes the way you approach anything uncomfortable in life. So yes, but I think, I think an overall psychological fear is just like not reaching my potential. The problem with that as a fear is that like, 
as you get better, you push the goalpost further. Yeah. So then you're like, at some point you have to decide like, okay, we're doing yeah. okay. You, you need to enjoy the journey because if you're just like yes. uh, looking at the deadline, it's uh yeah. For the, for the, for the story, like uh, I, I, we actually met on a free diving uh, course and uh, we did? I, I think it's very courageous of you to, to continue, you know, to do something that like triggers, uh, triggers so something much, yeah. like, uh, into you and, I think that's very admirable. Um, but I mean, that's all, that's every freediver, no? I mean, surely at some depth, we're all going to get to the point where we uh, are met with with the fear that we're like, uh, it's hard to get past. Or have you always just been like, I'm chill, this is so great, la, la, la. Um, I love it. I feel so good underwater. Like, it's just like absolute peace for me. You know, like I go wow. down, it's just like nothing is, is I love it. I've I've had like a few uh, uh, bad dives. For example, okay. like uh, I remember a dive where uh, I was doing a hold at like uh, thirty meters. So go to thirty meters, do a little hold, and like come up. And that? I felt so good at the bottom that I kind of overstayed there. <laughs> and and after like coming back up, I was like, okay, like I might have overstayed. So I saw like twenty, and then like twenty five. And then like, uh, uh, sorry, 25, 20, 15. Right. And like at, at 10, I was like, wow, I'm really far. And I'm really like, you know, contractions I'm and everything. Out. Yeah. And I, I made it to the surface, but I, it was not a, a clean surface, like a mm. uh, <laughs> protocol. And that was scary. And after that, like, uh, I had like a period, uh, uh, you know, like an extended period where like it kind of, you know, like traumatized Messed me a bit. With like you. To, yeah, mm. exactly. So then I had to like dive much more to overpass that and to not find myself in that situation. But yeah, that was very uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like how you deal with that discomfort, what what it brings up for you later. And so like, yeah, I I lean into those experiences. I mean, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has been the same for me. Like it's, you get into scary positions um, and I think it's less scary than free diving actually, because you, you can't necessarily die um, in the same way no, for, you can for die me, I, I, I highly disagree for the, with, with you on that. I really? much I haven't done uh, BJJ. I told you when when we saw yes. uh, each other in in Bali. Like I really want to do it, but there's this component of like there's another person who potentially is going to break your elbow, shoulder, yeah. knee, whatever, and I can't control that. And because I can't control it, it scares me. Yes, and that's definitely how I felt when I first started it because all the sports prior to that for me had been solo sports, so gymnastics, yeah. things like that. So they're arguably dangerous, but like you're in control of the variables whereas yeah. yes and 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 actually all the injuries i've had from bjj have been because like other people have done something in a really stupid way and their egos gotten the better of them and they've done something it's not necessarily been like i've let myself get in a bad position and didn't tap which is obviously one way to get injured and that's your own ego but it was more like them doing a stupid i had one person like jump on my leg trying to do something where you're supposed to jump around their hips and then she jumped around my knees and then like I nearly like completely damaged yeah. my knee but luckily I have good internal rotation like all these things but it's just like yeah that that is hard to grapple with you're right it would be hard for me to control myself and not transition into a real fight right there on the mat you know like being like oh yeah <laughs> let's totally. see what are we gonna do now <laughs> so really yeah hard. totally yes um I have so many other questions but like we're gonna like uh, <laughs> 
uh, stop with the the last one. We can do a part two. We can do a part two. But today, absolutely. <laughs> um, is uh, what's the best advice you've ever received, or maybe the best advice you want to like give to someone? It could be anything. Like really, something that has potentially impacted your life or you think that could potentially impact like other people's life i know you talked about mm. the fact that like uh you should what other people think about discard you. yeah exactly which is i think a very important ad advice but yeah i think um i think the next bit of advice is okay i'm gonna give you two the first one is read the book the four agreements which um I, it seems like a wishy-washy kind of spiritual self-help book but actually if you take that wisdom uh, of the four agreements you can really apply it to your life in a very practical pragmatic way and it can basically i think it change changes people's lives um so that that is an important book um but outside of that i would say um, because we live in this interdependent relation uh, universe where everything is relational, I think it's important to understand what you're making other people's behavior mean about yourself. And if you can start to get to the bottom of that, then you realize where you're giving away your power or giving away your, uh, motivation to someone else. Uh, so for example, you know, and I really learned this through, um, you know, practicing non-monogamy was for me an opportunity to really challenge. Uh, and I would say I'm naturally a monogamous person, very, very naturally a monogamous person. And so it was really confronting for me to enter into a relationship style where it was non-monogamous. And I realized the reason it was so confronting was because I'd put so much of someone else's behavior uh, or so much of my own self-worth into how someone else was behaving. So did they call me enough? Did they, you know, do enough to show that they loved me? Because that that demonstration of love was the only way that I felt like a worthy person. Wow. And so it really challenged that through the opposite. So through saying, well, let's take it to the nth degree. Let's take it to the degree of you're sleeping with someone else. You're sharing an intimate experience with someone else. And how have I told myself a story that that means that that person's better than me or worse than me. And so you can apply that concept to anything. You can apply it to how your clients treat you and things like that. If their behaviors are not in alignment with what you think they should be, what are you making that mean about you as a trainer? Does it mean that you're a bad trainer? Sometimes it might, <laughs> sometimes it might, but in other time, in other cases, it might mean that actually like you just need to stay strong in who you feel you are and your own values. So I would definitely say that um, it's, it's not really advice, but it's definitely like leaning. Sometimes you have to run towards the things that are scaring you rather than away from them. So for me at the time to really heal my relationships, I had to run towards the biggest fears that I had, which was like, well, if someone wants to sleep with someone else or if someone wants to have a, a sexual experience with someone else, it means that I'm not enough or not lovable mm. enough. And it actually fixed a lot of my own insecurities around relationships. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Big one. Not very yeah. fitness related. <laughs> no, no, no. Who cares? Like this, this podcast is not only about fitness. It's about like, uh, Great. uh, helping people like, uh, improve their life on all different aspects. So yeah, I think it Brilliant. will re resonate with a lot of people. Thank you Love so much that. for your time. Uh, Thank you. And Thanks for having obviously me. all your socials will be like, uh, in descriptions and everything. Amazing. Cool. Anything you want to finish with or. 
No, no, just, uh, you know, check out socials, check out, um, as you said already at the beginning, my podcast. Um, and yeah. then, that's it. podcast. Thank you. See ya. <laughs>